0: Uh, I've been calling our youngest son, who's three, Fred, I've been calling him Boss. Uh, Hey, Boss, it's cute, you know, like a a fun way of speaking to him. Except he's not really the sort of fella who needs to be called Boss. Uh, He already likes to run his own show. Maybe that's why I've been calling him Boss. Jen said to me the other day, you've got to stop calling Fred Boss. Uh, Jen had pulled Fred up for doing something that he shouldn't have been doing uh, but his response was to claim to be the boss Uh, Jen said you're not the boss you're not the one who decides what is right and and wrong his response yes I am the boss dad said I'm the boss I'm the boss you picture him chanting that for a little while sorry Jen Uh, I can do things how I want to do them uh, I rule my own life. Uh, I'm the master of my own destiny. I choose my own adventure. It's my right to decide what life is all about. I'm accountable to no one. I'm the boss. It's not just 3-year-old Fred, is it? It's actually it's the human condition according to the Bible. We like to live as though we hold the reins as though we have ultimate authority. And if you're into the social, you know, the Facebook, you don't have to scroll through the pages for long to see all kinds of versions of this, do you? Uh, William Ernest Henley, hopefully this will come up on the screen. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And you see that with all kinds of different pretty graphics behind it. Uh, Madonna, I'm my own experiments. I am my own work Of art. I wonder as you do life, uh, as we as a community do life, who's in charge? Who calls the shots? Uh, The the question of authority, it's actually really significant for life, isn't it? Uh, You know, in your workplace, you need to know who the boss is. Or, Or in your family system, it's important that Fred knows where. Where he fits, in your sporting team and, and club, it, it's really important to know who's in charge. Uh, and you notice maybe as Amy was reading, this subject of authority comes up in the, the second half of Matthew 21. So, so the context of what's going on here back in the first century, it's about a week before Jesus is crucified. Uh, King Jesus, he's entered the city, Jerusalem. He's entered the temple, having overturned tables, driving out the market that was going on in the area that was meant to be set aside for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to worship the Lord. Jesus, having cursed or judged a fig tree, symbolic of what he's actually doing with the temple, a fruitless Temple bustling with activity, but a fruitless temple decommissioned. Jesus now re enters the temple courts. They're verse 23 of chapter 21. And as he's teaching, some Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders of the people, we read this is the big guns. They come to him and they ask for his credentials. By what authority are you doing these things? They ask Jesus. And who gave you this authority? Follow up question. You may have gathered by now, if you're someone who's been reading Matthew's gospel, that these religious leaders are not genuine in their questioning. So these questions are more accusative. You don't have the authority to do what you're doing. How dare you? In their context, back in the first century, there were two main authorities. There was the Roman rule over the Jews, the persecuting Roman rule. And then there's the Jewish ruling authority, the religious authority, that is these blokes coming to Jesus to question him. What we have here, it's a bit like we've entered the boxing ring or we're watching as Jesus and these religious leaders have entered The boxing ring, the the tension is quite high. How is Jesus going to respond? Well, he'll tell three heavy parables. A parable is a story with a meaning. Today we're looking at two of them. But first, he asks a question of his own. You, You notice that in verse 24 and 25? I'll just read there. Jesus replied, I'll also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? John the Baptist was the prophet who came just before Jesus. Uh, People were going out into the wilderness in droves to be baptised by him. John had a special role to prepare the people, to prepare for the coming king. John was the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets that the Lord sent to his people. John was the fulfilment of Malachi, the, the Elijah-like prophet who was expected to come before the arrival of the long-awaited king. At one time, John, he, he actually pointed at Jesus and he said to his disciples in John 1, and 30, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was... Before me. Do you see something of these religious leaders that their problem? They don't like Jesus, obviously. They don't recognize his authority. They will not recognize his authority. Although he's been doing things that only God can do. But to acknowledge John the Baptist as a prophet from God is to acknowledge. Jesus as well, and they desperately don't want to do that. And to add, th- add to things, you picture them there in the, the temple courts, verse 26. It, maybe we see them sort of huddling in together, having a quick conversation. If we say John's authority is of human origin, well, then we have the crowd to deal with. And the crowd acknowledged that John was a prophet. It seems these religious leaders are more concerned to maintain their position of authority than discovering and living by what is true. It's sad, isn't it? We love to run the show. We, we love to rule our own lives. We love position and control. We like to feel as though we hold the reins. So they answer Jesus in verse 27, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I've done these things. Can I read to you a a longish quote from, from John Webster? It should come up on the screen. I hope the font is big enough. Webster says, why do we tell lies? We lie to evade reality. We lie because the truth is too painful or too shameful for us to face or because the truth is simply inconvenient and has to be suppressed before it's allowed to disturb us. We invent lies because, for whatever reason, we want to invent reality. And the false reality which we invent, the world we make up by our lying has one great advantage for us it makes no claims on us it demands nothing it doesn't shape us in the way that truth shapes us it faces us with no obligations it has no hard resistant surfaces which we can't get through a lie is a made-up reality and so never unsettles, never criticises, never resists, never overthrows us. It's the world, not as it is, but as we wish it to be. A world organised around us and our desires. The perfect environment in which we can be left at peace, to be ourselves and to follow our own good or evil purposes do you see something of this going on with the religious leaders to accept Jesus's authority is to accept the truth (laughs) the evidence is in front of them as it's in front of us all these years later but the truth unsettles the truth can be inconvenient. The truth can mean loss of position when I want everything centered on me. In verse 28 to 32, Jesus levels his first parable at the religious leaders. There's that bloke, he has two sons, and he asks the first to go and work in, in the vineyard, and the son says, No. But in verse 29, later the son changed his mind and went anyway. And the father goes to the other son and says the same thing, you know, verse 30, go and work in the vineyard. His son says, I will, sir, but but he doesn't go. And Jesus, after telling that parable, he has the religious leaders answer another question. Which of the two did what the father wanted. It's pretty obvious, the the first, they answer. Now look at verse 31 to 32, if your Bible's there. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's saying this to the neat and tidy, upstanding religious leaders verse 32 for john came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did and even after you saw this you did not repent and believe him the human condition is that we all say no god not your way but mine I want to hang on to the reins, God. We like to live a lie as if we're actually in charge. The tax collectors and the prostitutes in the Bible were often used as as synonymous with the wicked, with the sinner. But like the son who changes his mind, a word that can actually also mean repent, to change your mind, to repent. Repent. Many tax collectors and prostitutes, many sinners, were recognising what? Reality. John is a prophet from God, pointing to Jesus. There he is, the way of righteousness, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, the long-awaited king, and recognising reality. They put their faith in him. They believe. And so enter the kingdom. But not so with these religious leaders denying reality. They want to hang on to the reins. I'm in control. I'm in charge. And Jesus loads up another parable for them. Even more confronting than the first. A parable that is a condensed version of salvation history. A parable that includes the drama of conflict unfolding in front of us in, in these last days of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. It's verses 33 to 38, and, and it's, the, it's beautiful, isn't it? The story of a rogue tenant. No landlord wants one of these. But it's the people of God, the Israelites of old, they're the rogue tenants. They're like a well set up tenant. and they want to live as though they're the owner but to do that they have to delete the messengers that are sent to them by the owner one servant after another you read your old testament one prophet after another beaten killed stoned and last of all verse 37 and 38 the landowner sends his son But the tenants, they say to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. The great landowner, God Himself, sends His Son into the world. And to maintain the lie, we decide what life's all about. We call the shots. I'm the boss. I'm the master of my own destiny. We own this place. The world's my oyster. To maintain the lie, they kill him. Does this parable remind you of what Jesus is going to say at the end of chapter 23? It happens to be our youth group memory verse. Uh, Verse 37, Jerusalem. You see, Jesus is saying this with tears. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. The rogue tenant, might get away with it for a little while. But sooner or later, the owner will call them to account. But what's he going to do to the tenants? Well, Jesus has the religious leaders answer the question. Verse uh, 41, they say, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. At harvest time. Uh, Can I quote John Webster at length again? It should be coming up on the screen. Webster says, Lies are a desperately destructive force in human life. When they take the form of private fantasy, they rob us of our ability to deal truthfully with the outside world. But when lies go public, When an entire social group replaces reality with untruth, then the consequences are deadly. Sometimes, indeed, they can be literally deadly. Lies can kill. Lies work only when they remain unexposed. Once truth is allowed out, once reality is allowed in, then the lie just vanishes. The whole world of falsehood just crashes to the ground. And if the lie is to be maintained intact, then anything which speaks the truth must be got rid of. And that's what happens in this parable, isn't it? But also with the cross. Jesus rightly claims authority. Jesus, the the truth speaker, he is God the son, he is the long-awaited king, teaching with authority, working miracles, calling people after him, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, but murdered that the religious authority might maintain the lie. What does Jesus say in verse 42 and 43? He says to them, have you never read the scriptures? He's saying this to the experts in the scriptures. Haven't you read your scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, says Jesus, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you And given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone, that is Jesus, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. You see that in this section of Matthew's gospel that we're in, Jesus is decommissioning the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus is decommissioning the temple and establishing a new one built on him, built in and and through him. The stone the builders rejected, that is the Lord Jesus, has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. And as those religious leaders try and maintain the lie, I'm in charge. Jesus is put to death, rejected, Yet wonderfully, this was God's great plan too. Can I ask you this afternoon, are you someone who is living in harmony with what is real? With what is real? (laughs) Or are you living out some lie? Perhaps it's that lie that is popular at the moment, that I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my soul. That there is no God, or if there is, he's there to serve me, not the other way around. That I'm not actually accountable to the loving God who made me. Sooner or later, reality will break in. But know today, changing your mind, repenting, and living for Christ. Well, there is no greater thing. We need to know where we fit, don't we? Uh, And right at the end of Matthew's gospel, having risen from death to life, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he sends his people to go and make disciples. Perhaps he might be adding you to his number today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're really conscious that it's so easy to live as though we're the boss. At times, Lord, we really want it. And at times we buy the lie that we actually know better than you. Lord, forgive us. And help us to see that reality is that there's a loving God who made us for relationship with you. And that you sent your son, the king, into the world, teaching with authority, working miracles, showing his authority, winning victory over sin and death, showing his authority, rising from the dead, ascending to your right hand, showing his authority. And that one day reality is going to break into the lie. Lord, help us now be a people who live in harmony with what is real and order ourselves under King Jesus, we pray. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, And help us, Lord, we pray. And, Lord, my prayer is that each one of us here this afternoon would know the real and growing, the real and lasting joy of living with you and for you through the sacrificial death of your son. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.